Welcome to Skinny Trees, Lift Health for All, the Well Mama edition. Join us for this limited series where we have conversations with a variety of experts and community leaders in the field of maternal and child health to discuss how to advance maternal health equity in Illinois. Our guest today is Dr. Rishi Agarwal. Dr. Agarwal is a pediatric hospitalist at La Rubida Children's Hospital, a Lurie's children's partner that delivers complex and chronic care to children with disabilities, chronic conditions, and medical complexity. Dr. Agarwal's academic interests include health services, research, and advocacy for systems and policy improvement. He also teaches both medical and public health students with an emphasis on health systems and maternal and child health. Today, Dr. Agarwal will be speaking on the consequences of poor Medicaid policies and rates on maternal health. My name is Kai Holder, and I'm a medical and public health student at Northwestern. I took Dr. Agarwal's course on the healthcare system in the United States, so I'm very excited to facilitate this conversation today. On that note, I'd like to jump into the first question. So um, Dr. Agarwal, can you first give a brief overview of the Illinois Medicaid coverage for maternal health services for our listeners today? Yes, thank you. And first of all, I just wanna thank you for being here and thank you for the opportunity to uh, be a part of this wonderful podcast. And uh, I wanna thank everybody who's listening right now for being here and for um, uh, learning more about uh, about these really important issues. So it's so important to have patients and advocates who are engaged um, um, in these very important issues because they really affect um, uh, how um, we, uh, um, uh, how, how various um, people are able to get um, the care that they need um, at a very important stage of their life. Uh, so um, in terms of uh, Medicaid coverage for um, uh, pregnant women, so the, I'm going to backtrack and talk a little bit about the Medicaid program generally, um, that the Medicaid program was established to provide health insurance to people who may not have, who may have trouble getting it from another source. And when it was first set up, it wasn't set up to give the same benefits to everybody. To um, a, It has different eligibility thresholds, depending on whether you are a child, whether you are a senior, a low-income senior, um, or whether you are uh, a pregnant woman or a person with a disability. So, so sometimes people think of Medicaid as one program. In many cases, it's actually sort of like a lot of programs, you know, all put together. And uh, so we're talking about one of those particular programs, and that is um, coverage for pregnant women. Uh, the reason why we have coverage for pregnant women is because society has made a determination that it's really important, as it's such a critical time in development, for uh, women to have um, health coverage, regardless of their circumstances, um, in, um, in pregnancy. Um, uh, in order to maximize the chance that uh, the baby is healthy and thrives and that mom's health is, 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 is optimized as well because there's a lot of risk to health um, around this time. But um, there's different uh, uh, states have done different things with this, pro- this, this flexibility that the federal government allows. 
and some states are more generous than others. <clears throat> and so what we're gonna talk about today will be in Illinois, because if you, well, what happens in Illinois is not gonna necessarily be what happens in Indiana or Texas. Um, this is a frustrating thing if you plan to move or you travel a lot that your, your coverage is gonna be different in different states, but for purposes of today, we'll be talking about Illinois. And what we're very fortunate about in Illinois is that Illinois has actually been one of the leaders in terms of providing um, or expanding this coverage so that if you are, even if you make more money than typically is allowed for Medicaid. Um, and we, we tend to think of things around the federal poverty level. The federal poverty level is about $12,000 for a single person. And if you make, you know, about a, a, what we say 138% of that, so maybe $15,000, $16,000, typically you don't qualify for Medicaid. Um, in um, in mo for, for most people do not qualify for Medicaid in Illinois. Uh, you can join the, 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 healthcare exchanges, the marketplaces, uh, so otherwise known as Obamacare. Um, but you, you, though, though, though that's an option for getting coverage if you make more money. Uh, but what the, the, the Medicaid provisions do in Illinois is that you can actually make um, even higher amounts and qualify still to be on Medicaid. And what the, what's nice about that is that Medicaid doesn't have cost sharing, so you don't have to pay um, very much, if at all, out of pocket for, for expenses. Whereas if you went on to the marketplaces, you might have plans that require you to pay um, more in terms of uh, uh, co-payments and deductibles, um, et cetera. So, so that is important to know about. That's, that's a real benefit of uh, the uh, Medicaid program um, in general. So in how much income can you make? Well, um, if you're pregnant, you can make up to about $3,000 per month gross. Um, and uh, if you have one additional child, it's, it go, it's indexed by child. So it goes up to $3,700 per month. If you have two additional children, $4,500 a month approximately. So, so that is, um, you know, gets you into the, the middle income range. And it may be that that is a very good benefit for you. Um, and another benefit of the... Uh, uh, coverage is that you don't have to be a citizen um, or a legal immigrant to get pregnant pregnancy-related coverage. Um, you don't have a social security um, uh, a number. So for some um, uh, folks who uh, who may not have those, uh, those documents, um, but you still need coverage because this is such an important uh, time, um, uh, this is an important uh, source of coverage. Um, the Medicaid program will for, for women will actually cover you even before they do all the, the application um, processing. So it's got something that we call presumptive eligibility. And it basically involves immediate temporary coverage for outpatient care. And then um, they, they work on your, your um, application in the meantime. So what's nice about that is that if you find out that you're pregnant and you need coverage, you can get presumptive eligibility and go ahead and start to go see um, a, uh, an outpatient OBGYN doctor and uh, start to get prenatal care, because we don't want you to delay prenatal care. We want you to get plugged into prenatal care as soon as you can. And uh, that's why this coverage is um, so important. And 
So the, the coverage extends typically, historically it's extended until you deliver and then 60 days afterwards. However, there is now um, legislation to extend that uh, because the federal government is encouraging states to extend it to a year and Illinois is taking them up on that option. Um, because there's a lot of um, research that shows that women are at risk in that year after pregnancy from various complications and that we want to have the, 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 the coverage extended. So um, <clears throat> in terms of what, is covered. Uh, there's, um, you can get outpatient services like prenatal checkups, doctor visits, lab tests, prenatal vitamins, so you don't have to pay out of pocket for those. Um, you know, you can get a prescription that'll pay for those. Any medicines that you might need if you need to see a specialist. You can even get eye care and dental care. Um, um, if you need to go to the emergency room, that'll be covered. Mental health and substance abuse services, which is just very important. Um, uh, transportation. So you may think, okay, you, it may be hard to get to medical points, but if you are Medicaid, they actually can help you with transportation to get getting your care. Um, of course, labor and delivery um, costs are covered. Um, when you, your child is born, checkups, well baby care, the shots that they need, um, etc. Um, all of their services are, um, uh, are part of it. So um, it really is a very nice benefit package. Um, and I mean, it doesn't cover everything that possibly could be covered. And we'll talk, I'm sure, a little bit more about that. But um, it, uh, it is really very important coverage. And I just want to really encourage anybody who um, is pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant to be, to, to be aware of it and to, um, to make use of it. Thank you so much for that overview, Dr. Agarwal. And I have a follow-up question um, regarding what you spoke about with the Medicaid um, coverage. I was just wondering how a woman would go about registering for Medicaid when she found out she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So there's um, a number of different ways to do it. Um, you know, you can always go if you if the, the easiest thing to always remember is healthcare.gov, you know, because that is sort of the clearinghouse for all types of healthcare information. And you can, you know, depend you can put information to find out what you qualify for based on your income and your situation. It'll link you to the Medi Illinois Medicaid program. You can go directly to Illinois Medicaid's website and there's links to sign up from there as well. Um, and they have online applications. Um, in addition, there are phone numbers that you can call it. Maybe you're not you're somebody who doesn't really like to in, interact, do, do fill in things online, or um, you're not, um, uh, you know, maybe you don't have a device that is, you know, maybe you only use a smartphone and it's maybe hard to fill out things, you know, there, there, there are um, numbers you can call as well. So there's there, the, the idea is to have multiple access points so that one way or another, you can find, find a way to get in. Um, if you already get care through a clinic, like if you may go to a community health clinic, you may actually be able to get help from them in signing up. So uh, they, they often have navigators and social workers. So maybe you haven't seen your community health doctor in a while. Um, you know, it, you, it, sometimes just giving the, their office a call and saying, hey, you know, I, 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 I need help getting coverage. They may be able to help walk you the process and you'd actually have a human being helping you. Because sometimes when you go through the websites and the phone numbers, it can be sometimes a little bit unfriendly. I mean, they try to make it friendly, but sometimes if you have your providers helping you out, your provider groups helping you out, then that can be, you know, really uh, useful as well. Great, thank you for that explanation. And the next question I had was about value-based payment models. So I know that recently there's been a push for value-based payment models to replace the current 
fee-for-service model. And can you just explain why that would um, benefit prenatal and postpartum patients? Yes. So the this is a big problem in healthcare in general is that there's sometimes the way that the system is set up is it, 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 it promotes people, physicians and healthcare systems to do more stuff, but not necessarily whether that stuff is needed or not. And so sometimes it, it, it may lead to the health systems focusing on the wrong things. And sometimes uh, in the past, physicians will get paid the same regardless uh, and systems will get compensated the same, whether they deliver good care or bad care, which does, wouldn't make sense to you, right? You know, I mean, if you go to, um, uh, you know, you know, you, 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 you buy a lot of things, a lot of times they say satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, right? Well, that doesn't really happen in healthcare, where in healthcare, sometimes they just take your money or, or the, the system's money regardless. And so the idea behind value-based payment is to say, you know what, we're going to expect you to perform in certain ways and to meet various outcome measures. And then you will get your maximum payments. Um, so that is um, the idea behind it. But we, we're sort of early in the process of figuring out how to make that actually work. In Illinois, there's been a lot of um, effort to do this by managed care contracts. So sometimes when you get your Medicaid, you don't get it necessarily directly from the state, but they contract with a managed care company. And uh, they, the, the state demands that they have, they meet certain measures, certain outcomes. And so, so that is, that is sort of something that's happening behind the scenes. Now, how that might affect you as a consumer, hopefully it makes it so that you're more providers are going to be delivering more of the right care over time. But I want to be very frank is that I think that you have to be an advocate for yourself, regardless of, of any changes that are occurring or all the good things that are happening. Um, because we know that there's a lot of inequities and discrimination in healthcare. And it's um, uh, a, the, the, the most powerful antidote to that is, um, you know, an informed uh, uh, consumer who advocates for herself. And so um, I want to just encourage all of you to, uh, to do that to the, to, the, to the extent that you can. Um, but policy people are working on trying to make the system more, um, more fair and more equitable. But uh, I want to be honest, I think we have a ways to go with that. And on that note, I was wondering, in your professional opinion, how have previous Medicaid policies and reimbursement plans contributed to the United States' high maternal mortality rate? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that um, it uh, is um, when you have healthcare coverage for one group of people, that is not as robust as it is for another group of people. That certainly contributes to the disparities and the inequities and the, the, the discrimination that we see. Um, Medicaid has traditionally not paid as much to providers as much as, as private insurance does. And so you see that there's a lot of providers who may not take Medicaid. Um, and that may lead um, women who have Medicaid, who may reside in certain areas to have fewer providers to choose from, fewer quality providers to choose from. And that can impact your outcomes. Um, the fact that coverage would only extend for 60 days afterwards, when we know that some pregnancy-related complications can extend beyond that, um, has been a limiting factor as well. When, and, and sometimes when the system has made it hard to get coverage, um, that can be it. But I also 
I want to be careful to say that it's not just healthcare insurance that leads to these these changes we see. There are deep problems that we have in this country with systemic racism, with income inequality, with healthcare quality and patient safety um, that vary by location, uh, that um, even with the ideal healthcare coverage wouldn't just magically go away. So, so healthcare coverage is one important part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. Great, thank you so much. And in that answer, I noticed that you were speaking about um, racism and disparities and just the United States being composed of um, a diverse group of people. So um, I know that many women, especially those from diverse backgrounds, would like to have alternative birthing options, such as home birthing options and doula assistance. And does Medicaid cover any of these non-traditional birthing methods? So traditionally, Medicaid has not, um, but there is a movement, there's actually a bill that is being considered um, uh, to um, allow more coverage of uh, these services. And um, uh, the, um, uh, uh, the it's called Senate Bill 1826, and it's uh, um, called the Consumer Choice and Maternal Care for African-American Mothers Pilot Program. And um, essentially what it would do it would uh, provide vouchers to provide extended consumer choice for Black mothers that includes planned home help, home birth services, in-home perinatal and postpartum services, um, and that there would be midwives who would be called racially concordant, so, so other um, diverse um, um, professionals. And the idea is to provide women with an option that they can receive care um, from trusted uh, caregivers in hopefully a setting that would be um, less likely to have the systemic racism that they may experience um, in other healthcare settings. Um, that being said, uh, there are uh, sometimes there's sometimes some opposition to to bills like this. You know, from the medical societies who say, well, you know, maybe more should be done in the hospital setting. Um, and there's there's a vigorous debate about that. I'm not going to weigh in as to you know what. Uh, you know uh, what, what the particulars of, of, of the bill should be and not be, but there, there's a, there, this is this is a very important debate um, that that has to be had, and we have to figure out ways to um, give women more choice and to be, and and they should be able to go through their pregnancy and delivery and not have to worry about being treated differently because of their um, um, because of their the color of their skin, and we. Um, uh, this is one way to go about it. I, I also hope that there and and there's there's initiatives that are occurring within traditional medical care settings to reduce the potential for bias through implicit bias training and other other measures. But again, we have a ways to go. Uh, but uh, this is a um, it's a, this this bill would be a pilot program to see how it works. So it wouldn't necessarily change things permanently, um, because in many cases, we don't know what the best model is. And so, you know, by trying this out with women who want to deliver in this way and studying the outcomes for a while, that may be the basis for more longstanding change in the future. And on that note, I know that you discussed the Senate Bill 1826 and also um, a legislation that would create more coverage for mm -hmm. postpartum care beyond the um, original 60 days. And I've noticed that there have been many recent policies in the Illinois House and mm -hmm. Senate, which have focused on maternal health, 
health equity and Medicaid coverage. And I was wondering how you think these pieces of legislation will change maternal health outcomes for black and brown women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of like good steps going forward. Now, admittedly, they're kind of some, some, a lot of them are baby steps. They're little, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're huge transformational changes, but we are making steps in the right direction. And so, um, for example, <laughs> Senate Bill um, 967, um, the Improving Healthcare for Pregnant and Postpartum Individuals Act, uh, did a number of things like, you know, allowing hospitals to put in long-active contraception, you know, right after uh, delivery, um, changing some of the provisions of insurance to make it easier for um, <clears throat> those who with various types of insurance to have uh, maternity um, coverage, um, training for providers about some of the causes of and how to deal with some of the causes of maternal mortality, such as hemorrhage, obstetric hemorrhage after uh, delivery, and uh, making sure that providers are providing, you know, top-level care, um, who, you know, whether they're in the obstetric, obstetric setting or the emergency care setting, so that if a complication does occur, that we address it and it doesn't become uh, life-threatening. It also set the motion and put, put in motion uh, the steps to expand Medicaid coverage. So, so you can see there's a number of different changes that that have been made. Um, and I think they will have an impact. But um, like I said before, there's a lot that has to be done in order to, like systemic racism is not something that you can just pass a bill and it'll go away. There's, it, it pervades so many different aspects. You know, the, even the lives outside of the hospital, if women um, uh, are experiencing racism in their community life, that that has impact on their health and, and that, that has impact on their risk of having a complication. Um, so even you can make the health system and the, as 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 equitable as possible, but the, the so what we call the social determinants of health, all the things that happen in the community before you even get to the hospital, in, in, impact your risk as well. And if you're um, experiencing discrimination um, in, in in all those other realms, so so we have to. These are steps in the right direction, but we have to change society too. We have to change society, and so in public health we call that going upstream. You know, you you need to you need to 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 um, to, to, to change change things, you know, from, from a very broad point of view. Um, so big work in progress, but I think that we have a lot of potential to go in the right direction in this moment that we're in more than we've had in the past. So, and I hope that we'll all work together to, to make that happen. Yes. Thank you so much for that explanation. And um, just touching back on the consumer side what advice would you give to pregnant patients and patients who are planning on becoming pregnant about choosing Medicaid plans and also private insurance plans mm -hmm. to ensure that they are um, best able to afford um, their most optimal birthing experience? So um, this, is, this can be so difficult to, comp to, to navigate. And my suggestion is to um, talk to, if you have a provider that you, prefer to talk to your provider and find out what insurance types they take, you know, whether it's in the Medicaid space, Medicaid plan space, or the, the, the health insurance marketplaces, or if you have an option through your employer, and it may be kind of expensive, and you're, you're not sure, you know, um, if you want to use that option or not, um, to find out what, what plan they take, um, so that you can then look at the, at, at the options available to you and find out, you know, cause you wanna make sure that you go to somebody that you trust. 
Um, and that, that, that is really important. And the problem with a lot of health insurance products these days is they have what we call restrictive networks. So they allow you to go to some places and not to others. And you want to be able to go to the hospital and, and the, the physician that you, you want to be able to go to. So, um, so that, that's where sometimes you have to do a little bit of homework. And, but, but calling your provider can be very helpful. Now, you can go to healthcare.gov and you can put in your information and you can find out what you qualify for. And it may be Medicaid and maybe private insurance and maybe both. Um, and you have to think about, okay, well, you know, what will work best for you? I mean, you know, private insurance, you know, you might have a little bit more of a choice of providers, but you might be paying a little bit more out of pocket yourself. Um, Medicaid, you might have a little less choice, but it may be um, less expensive for your, you know, your, in terms of out-of-pocket costs, it may have a little bit more comprehensive coverage without copays and deductibles, uh, but you may have a little bit less choice um, in, 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 in terms of your provider, and you might be in a more restrictive managed care environment. So, um, you have to uh, think about what works best for you, talk to your provider, and um, uh, regardless of what plan you choose, know that you have, you know, rights to get good care and always, you know, stick up for yourself in every situation. You know, that's that, that's what I would um, suggest um, because sometimes the system can be unfriendly and unwelcoming. And on that note, throughout the discussion, you discussed that it was very important for patients to be a self-advocate. Mm -hmm. So how can patients become involved with advocacy efforts to improve Medicaid coverage on maternal health services mm -hmm. in, in, in Illinois. Yeah, thank you so much for the question. I mean, it's really important. And, you know, when uh, it, it, advocacy begins at home, so advocating for yourself and those, your loved ones, um, you know, making sure that you get the care that you need. Um, you know, when you're in the healthcare environment and if something doesn't feel right, you should always, you know, never hesitate to say, I want to talk to a manager or I want to talk to patient relations um, in order to uh, escalate things. Because sometimes, you know, by doing that, then you, 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 you raise alarm bells and then people will, you know, make sure to, you know, up their game a little bit. Um, so in terms of broader policy advocacy, um, you can, um, get involved by talking to your le your state legislator, you know, whether your state representative or your state senator. Um, they often have events in your community, you know, get, get on their mailing list, find other events, you, there, there are opportunities to meet them, you can make individual appointments, and talk to them about how you think that this is a very important issue, you know, because a lot of times legislators, they hear from a lot of different types of people. They don't often hear a lot from regular people about public health issues. And I think that, you know, because a lot of times they're hearing more from, you know, people who are business interests, etc. And I think that hearing from people that this issue matters really makes a difference. And, you know, and developing a personal relationship with your legislator, I think is, you know, really, you know, a, a really important thing that you can do. Um, and there are organizations, you know, that advocate for, for services that you can be a part of, you know, like EverThrive, for example, is one of them that, that, that focuses on maternal and child health in Illinois, um, that, uh, you know, they, they may have events or, or, or ways that you can get involved. Um, and just stay informed. Uh, and you know, if there's uh, if there are bills that are being um, debated, you know, about these issues, because you can see that on on websites like EverThrive's website as to what you know. Uh, 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 maternal and child health bills are being passed. If there's one that you you feel strongly about, you know, call your legislator and, uh, you know, say that you support or, or oppose, you know, depending on your position on something and why, you know, and, and get engaged. Um, I would also say network with other people who are 
like-minded to you because sometimes you know there's there's often strength in numbers and so if you have a group of people you know you can make a facebook group um you know of of mothers who are interested in these topics and if you are able to sort of corral your voices together um that often makes more noise more of an impact than just an individual so sometimes it's just a little bit of basic community organizing so if you have a group of people um who are interested in 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 this sort of advocacy form a group and then you know maybe you'll get your state legislator who will attend that group one of these days you know that because because then they they know that you're organized and that you're willing to um to uh to advocate on behalf of these services so um, so speak up in all aspects, just speak up and uh, make your voices heard because your voices are very important. Thank you so much, Dr. Agarwal. I think that was great advice for all the listeners today. And thank you again for being a guest on this podcast and for the informative discussion on Medicaid policies and how they relate to maternal health. Great, thank you for having me. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and authors and do not necessarily reflect or represent the views and opinions of the following entities. National Institutes of Health, the National Cancer Institute, Northwestern University, Northwestern Medicine, Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, the Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center, the Institute for Public Health and Medicine, University of Illinois at Chicago, and Northeastern Illinois University. Skinny Trees is proudly produced and edited in the Center for Health Equity Transformation, led by Dr. Melissa Simon at Northwestern University. Dr. Simon is a member of the United States Preventive Services Task Force, USPSTF. This podcast does not necessarily represent the views and policies of the USPSTF. Due to the social nature of this podcast, the content used might be copyrighted by another entity or person. This podcast claims no copyright to set content.